The Leslie Marshall Show, a true democracy in talk radio. Of, for, and by you, the people. I'm back with you for the second hour of Leslie Marshall's show, the great Leslie Marshall show I'm co- I am hosting today, uh, and I'm lucky enough to have some great guests. We've been talking a little bit about the Innocence Project. We just talked about Social Security. Donald Trump is kind of uh, hanging over our shoulders like, a, like bad weather wherever we go. We might as well talk more about him. I'm lucky enough to have a very smart guy when it comes to polling. Jason Box on the line with me. Jason's an old friend and, more importantly, the managing director of, of at the Glover Park Group, research director, I believe. Man, people move up in the world when time goes by, huh, Jay? You know, every once in a while you see an inspired intern really just take over the world, right? <laughs> I always knew that was going to be you. Um, of course, never an intern. Always, uh, I think you started at the top and then and then just went that much higher. So, uh, so talk to me, my man. We got polls coming out. We got, I mean, some of them seem a little skeptical. Although, you know, Donald Trump did do everything this week except for perhaps starting that nuclear war he's looking for. Uh, I, I found that you know once he insulted the the family of a fallen soldier, you thought where could he take it up a notch? And he decided to kick a baby out of a. Uh, event. I thought that was impressive. And, and now we're seeing 15 points up in New Hampshire, nine points up in Michigan, 11 points up um, in Pennsylvania, a 10-point poll overall from no other than Fox News. So break it down for us, man. Is, is this just all wishful thinking or, or is something going on here? Well, I mean, uh, look, I, I, I spent the last four days uh, desperately trying to find a 72-hour stretch in the history of modern presidential elections where somebody has just done worse. Uh, and I couldn't find one. And I, I mean, I really, really looked. And I think the polls that we are seeing now are really beginning to reflect what we saw developing really back at the RNC in Cleveland. Uh, I, I still kind of scratch my head when I uh, read people talking about how that convention, uh, the Republican convention, was somehow in any way successful. Uh, And you're seeing polls now that are coming out that are talking uh, anywhere from like 10 to 20 point spreads in terms of uh, Republicans who were more likely to vote for Trump after seeing the RNC versus Democrats who were more likely to vote for Hillary after watching the DNC in Philadelphia. And, uh, you know, as a pollster, I think I'm, I'm skeptical by training. Um, not to mention being right. born in New York as a Jew. That just all kind of folds into it. Uh, I know what that experience is like, too. It sounds familiar. Uh, a little bit, right? Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, I don't want to get too crazy excited about it, but it's nice to see um, sort of uh, logical, reasonable, rational thinking aligned with polls coming out, because i got to tell you, uh, you know, there have been periods of weeks and months where, as a pollster, uh, you know, I'm a little embarrassed to tell people I'm a pollster because the numbers were just so um, so crazy, uh, not fun. Yeah, well, also, I think it is hard because 
we have to remind ourselves who forms the base of the Republican Party at this point. And I don't say this with any glee. I wish there were a functioning two-party system right now with two actual sane parties that believed in governing so they could work things out. But, but when you see who um, has taken control, so when Donald Trump would insult somebody in the primaries, which was every other minute, his numbers would go up. You know, the kinds of things that we would normally expect would take somebody's numbers down didn't because he's from this self-selected group of lunatics, I, I guess, for lack of a, a more technical term. Um, no, that's actually but, that's the technical term. Is it? Yeah, that, that may that's just be these days. So, the so the general election. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, Jay. No, 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 no. Go ahead. I was going to say the general election. I think some of us started. You know, I, I didn't. I still like to believe in science until I'm proven wrong, and that may happen one of these days. But, but I think people got a little, especially if they don't do this stuff like you and I do, got scared because, you know, any the numbers wouldn't move when he did some things. And I think people have to remember also that there's kind of a, a lag that it's the news coverage of a really bad thing that often will get you know get those numbers to move. So. You know, after the, the Democratic convention, you've got this big bounce and you're thinking that could go away. But it's almost like he purposely planned it to then make sure that bounce would solidify while he was saying and doing every offensive thing he could think of. I like to call it the jackass bounce. I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say that. So I may have just gotten to, <laughs> there may be a fine coming. I'll pay it, Leslie. Um, but I mean, that seems like what, you know what I mean? I mean, that bounce may have dissipated somewhat but people who already were thinking about her and then you see this guy insulting this family and insulting the baby and fighting with mccain and with brian i mean does any of that make sense to you or am i am i being crazy no i mean look look this is and you and i and the millions upon millions of people who are listening to this program are not normal <laughs> uh in as much as we are pretty attuned to what's happening in the news and what's happening in politics but i think that Really until maybe two or three weeks ago, more Americans were familiar with Donald Trump, the television personality, than they were with Donald Trump, the radioactive slime bag, who we've been seeing on the political campaign. That is a technical term, I'm pretty sure. That is also a technical term. I've got the book right here. Uh, and so, uh, you know, it's interesting. You talk about the, 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 the part of the, of the Republican Party that's supporting Trump. In truth, that we've seen a 25-year unwinding, uh, a disaggregation of the of the Republican Party into its various component parts, and there's the there's the sort of the, the religious conservative wing of the party, which uh, in many ways was represented by Ted Cruz. You've got uh, the sort of neocon slash uh, fiscal conservative part of the party that was represented in many ways by Marco Rubio. You had that sort of centrist conservative, but more of a reasonable centrist part of the party that was in many ways represented by Kasich. And then you had the, 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 the severe libertarian tinfoil hat wearing wing of the party, which is now actively calling the shots. And so, you know, the, the Trump that we saw succeeding in the primary, who was, who had geared his entire campaign to the tinfoil hat wearers has not really transitioned into a general election and he is where he was appealing to 30 some 40 some percent of the republican primary electorate he's still appealing to those same people what we what we were what we were missing in those national polls and now we're beginning to see in the state polls is that people are now beginning to pay attention and what is being served on the buffet line at, at the crazy convention is uh, not particularly appealing 
to the vast majority of Americans who just want to put food on their table, pay their mortgage, and go back and watch TV. Uh, and right. So they're making they're making that transition from Donald Trump, the TV guy, to the Donald Trump. Oh my God, how are we even considering electing this guy? Right. So I mean, you know, that final speech he gave at the convention. For example, if you're trying to motivate people to go out and fight with uh, Franco in the Spanish uh, Civil War, perhaps a good speech. Not necessarily when it comes to getting people to feel better about <laughs> about their economic situation. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I mean, look, he is. He is. His message is everything is crap. Really, I, I mean, it is. And in kind of, if you think about it, Cliff, it, it it kind of is a truly well. That's insulting to my conservative friends. It is a conservative little C message. I wish things were like the way they used to be. The problem is, when he talks about the greatness of the 60s and 70s, he's talking about the 1860s and 70s. And <laughs> it's, just, it's just not a message that appeals uh, to, A, people of color, B, women, C, uh, gays and homosexuals, and D, anybody with a logical, regional, you know, rational mind. Well, I think uh, you're, you're selling Rutherford B. Hayes a little bit short there. I know. Um, I, I'm. Yeah, he's one of my least favorite presidents. So, sorry. Yeah, he's. Yeah, we've driven by. He's not so far from here. It, <laughs> nobody goes. Nobody goes to that place. That's that's one of the the non Ohio. One of the Ohio losers. Not one of the good ones. You know, the good like ones the, like McKinley. It's the Newark of presidential neighborhoods. It, it really is. Um, so it's interesting. One interesting thing I've found. I'd love for you to to speak to. Um, Although I, 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 maybe we should do this after the break. I'll, I'll just sort of intro it, which is, you know, he's been basing a lot of his campaign on appealing to white working class voters. That's been, you know, he's going to turn out these voters that, that didn't turn out in the past. Uh, he's going to get them in much larger numbers, switch some Democrats. And he's done some of that in places like Youngstown and whatever. But he's been losing college educated whites for the first time. Dem Republicans may lose them for a long time. And I want to talk a little bit about that with you when we come back. You're listening to The Leslie Marshall Show. Truth for all sides of the spectrum. 888-6-LESLIE. Talking to the great Jason Box, fantastic researcher, good friend, giving us some insight into some of these poll numbers that seem to be going off the charts recently. Uh, let's catch. Let's start where we left off, Jason. We were talking about. Uh, well, obviously, we've we've got a wannabe President Trump who's been targeting uh, white working class voters, but doing it in a very cynical way, uh, and and obviously playing to fears and playing to anger. Uh, but what's interesting, and I saw these numbers from, from the RNC convention, is it seemed like he turned off uh, white college-educated voters who have not gone majority for Democrats since, like, before Eisenhower or something of that nature. I figured you'd know more than me, so let's, uh, I'll let you go from here. Uh, yeah, I, I knew it had been a, a long time, 40 or 50 years. Uh, you know, that Eisenhower guy, he was really tuned in, though, with the, uh, with the white college-educated <laughs> folks. Um, <laughs> <laughs> not, not, nothing says, uh, he liked to do the twist, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I love it. Uh, so, 
You know, I was looking during the break, I was looking at uh, the percentage of white voters that uh, that the winning president, that, that the D's and the R's had over, over the last few elections. And you, you've seen this trend uh, going back as far as 92, where, uh, where the percentage of white voters has, uh, obviously, uh, whites as, a, as a part of the electorate are a, a shrinking part of the electorate, uh, not physically in terms of height, but in terms of numbers. Just and, uh, and that is really because of this explosion of both African-American and really Latino voters. And what the trend that you've seen is that even over the last four or five cycles, the Democrat has typically gotten somewhere in the 42, 43, 44 percent range among white voters. And obviously, if you can hold serve on a population mm-hmm. that is shrinking and then take advantage of, of maxing out your numbers in places. And by the way, this is exactly what you saw in the Democratic primary, where Hillary Clinton was doing really well in states where there were large minority populations. Then you stand a pretty good chance of doing well. So put aside the, 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 the non-white vote for a minute, because Donald Trump is really, um, he's, we, he's working hard to alienate every single one of those votes, with the exception of like Ben Carson and Michael Steele. I'm not sure where he's going to count his African-American vote. <laughs> Uh, but uh, it's amazing, uh, you know, when we talk about uh, non, non-white, non-blacks, um, Trump has done everything in his power to, to, to alienate Latinos, uh, Asians, Muslims, uh, and, and, you, and these are all small pockets of voters, but they, they add up. And then to your point, going after a white working class population, which is by definition a shrinking group, uh, but then really uh, insulting one of those intrinsic core values, which uh, many of, of, uh, of that population holds to be true, which is this whole idea of sacrifice and valor and, uh, and uh, wearing the uniform of your country. And when, you know, like when a guy like Trump comes up and says, and it's really amazing to me, even as I run it in my head, I've always wanted a Purple Heart. <laughs> On what planet is that an okay thing to do? And I'm sure you saw that Tammy Duckworth, uh, Congressman Duckworth, who uh, yes. is probably, in my in my view, is going to is going to win that race in Illinois, uh, tweeted out I, in response. This is what it looks like when you get a Purple Heart. Yeah, that it's was not, that was powerful because obviously she lost her legs um, fighting in in Iraq, um, and. Uh, yeah, you get a, you know always wanted a purple heart. She got it the hard way. Uh, Donald Trump got it handed to him, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit later. We've got uh, Lee, Lee Rogers coming on to talk about who's a doctor about bone spurs and avoiding yeah. service. <laughs> you know, you could still play a mean game of tennis, some great overhead smashes, but apparently cannot go to go to war. Um, but yeah, so you're saying he even you're saying at this point, even with his core demographic, he may be losing them too. I think you. I think you're saying. Look, it, it is. It is astounding to me, and and you know, a transparency to all of your listeners. I am squarely in D.C., so I am part of the Beltway problem. Uh, but I am friends uh, because I'm a friendly guy. I'm friends with a lot of Republicans. Now, a lot of them are what you might call derisively establishment Republicans, but not all of them. And almost to a person, uh, the Republicans who I know are so in shock. Uh, about what he has done with 
this message uh, and really taking it on, a, on, a, on such a divergent path from where I think many Republicans would like to see this, this conversation go, they're all gone. So forgetting even about, uh, about, you know, first of all, not all white working class voters are Republican. So right. I, think that's, I think that's misnomer number one. Uh, yes. Misnomer number two, uh, of those who are, many of them are what you and I might call traditional Republicans. And he is just, uh, he's banging on the wrong doors, man. So yeah, he also already can kick those doors with those bone spurs. Exactly. And, you know, opening those doors with such small hands must be tough, too. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> I was just seeing something on Twitter, you know, Steve Karnacki, who's on uh, MSNBC, was, was pointing out, I lived in Philly for a few years. I went to school there. And I remember the Repu- this was in the 90s. This is when I got into politics, you know. And George H.W. Bush, he was going to win if he was going to win in those Philadelphia suburbs, which have now completely switched. So what Steve Karnacki is saying here is the blue-collar gains that he's made, you know, in parts of North e- like Northeast Philly, where I remember I, I worked for a candidate, and places like that, working-class areas, you know, he's, again, he doesn't mean he's winning them all, but win, maybe he's winning more than Republicans had. It's being wiped out, uh, but because these these white collar sort of Philly burb voters, who are very moderate Republicans, are all deserting him, uh, and that doesn't seem to bode too well for uh, for his future. Well, look at I mean, you've got you know, and McGinty, uh, you know, who for, who has been really neck and neck with Toomey in Pennsylvania now for. Gosh, weeks and weeks, uh, those those polls have been tight. And today, must have, she must have just felt like today was, you know, Christmas morning. I mean, uh, and and you know, this is this is something. You know, there's the, the, there's been a lot of chatter in the last few weeks about how the Clinton campaign has very uh, strategically tried to portray uh, Trump as an anomaly within the Republican Party, and I think that. When I first started seeing those stories a few weeks ago, I thought, well, that's great for her, but maybe not great for uh, the Democrats who want to take back the Senate, because I think that you really want to pull on the entire ticket. Sure. And this, and this seemed like maybe an intellectual argument that was maybe too smart by half, because if you look at the polls now, uh, you know, in places where there are competitive Senate races, uh, you've got to, you know, they're, they're, you're going to have to put some of these folks on suicide watch, because he is really... Uh, in New Hampshire, in Mich- in in Pennsylvania, uh, really, I, uh, the irony here is that in we're heading to a break. Jay, sum up in a few. Uh, Marco Rubio might actually be uh, the guy who stands on top of the mountain when everything's said and done, and uh, and has the last laugh. <laughs> that would be beautiful. Listen, thank you so much for joining us, Jason. I really appreciate it. Great stuff. And I am filling in for Leslie Marshall. I believe we're about halfway done, but a lot more fun is on the menu. Coming up, we've got Brad Herzog, who, let's call him a victim of Trump's America, an author of 35 books. That's right, 35. Uh, He's smart. And uh, he was a spokesperson for 17 years for the RV Association, uh, National RV Association, and then wrote a book opposing Donald Trump. And suddenly he was only an author. We're going to talk to him about that. Brad, are you with us, my friend? I am, Cliff. 
I am. Thank you how for having me. Oh, my pleasure. How are you, buddy? I'm hanging in there. I'm hanging in there. I'm wearing a T-shirt today that uh, my wife gave me a few years ago that has the one of the seven dwarves on it. It's grumpy. I've been I've been wearing that a lot lately, but I'm doing okay. Ah, uh, you've been grumpy, huh? Well, maybe yeah. we'll we'll do our best to laugh a little bit, uh, insult Trump that's... a little bit, maybe make you less grumpy. Yeah, some days I'm happy, some days I'm dopey. Well, it, it just depends on the day. Yeah, it happens to the best of us. I think I'm dopey on your average day. Um, <laughs> so, you decided that you'd do something crazy and un-American, you know, speak up about your political beliefs, put it even in written form, um, and for that, you uh, you lost a job that you and your wife had for 17 years. Why don't, we, uh, talk, yeah. why don't you tell our, our listeners a little bit about that so they can get more of an idea of what exactly happened and what they can look forward to in Trump's America if he wins. Right, that's, that's the chilling part of it. Um, the story is that my wife and I, I've written, um, you know, 35 to 40 books, and um, about, uh, she's almost 20 years ago, my wife and I took off for almost a year in an RV. Uh, I turned to her one day and I said, how would you like to travel around the country for a year and I'll try to write a book about it? And she said, sure. So we had this magical year where we traveled through 48 states and I wrote the first of three travel memoirs, American travel memoirs that I've written. It's called States of Mind. And that was published in 1999 and um, got a lot of attention. I did some national TV interviews. I guess I was comfortable on TV. And we got hired in the summer of 2000 by the RV Industry Association as summer, basically, spokespeople, ambassadors for the RV industry, where we were um, tasked with driving around uh, for a couple of months uh, to various media markets and doing local TV interviews and talking about how much fun we're having in our RV. It was a great gig. We worked great really gig, hard. Great gig, right? You get paid to travel. Yeah. Fun. Yeah. It was fun. It was sort of a working vacation. I mean, we worked very hard, and we studied our talking points, and we scheduled our TV interviews and um, traveled thousands of miles, but um, they rehired us on a year-by-year contract basis 17 years in a row, or 16 years after that, and um, they gave us an award about uh, in, the year, in 2006 called the Spirit of America Award, um, for um, which they've given to people like uh, you know Matthew McConaughey and um, Hall of Fame pitcher Bob Gibson and Terry Bradshaw, people like that. Uh, and nice. they, we were, they loved they loved us. They uh, we were a beloved um, part of the industry, and um, and I and along the way in those seventeen years, I wrote maybe twenty five books in my in my day job as an author. Um, and um, but then in the spring, my wife Amy and I decided that we would, due to our disgust at the Trump candidacy, um, we would turn that into creativity. And um, she was taking art classes and became a very good artist, and I. Many of my, my books are for kids in our poetry alphabet books, so we decided we would combine our talents and write a book called D is for Dump Trump, an anti-hate alphabet, which consists of 26 poems, one for each letter of the alphabet, and 20 editorial cartoons by Amy. And it's a clever... For anybody book. listening, by the way, it's, it's hysterical, and the, the writing is great, the drawings are great. You should get yourself a copy. But uh, I, I interrupt. Continue, Brad. Thank you. Sorry. It's actually available today on, uh, for pre-purchase on Amazon and elsewhere. Um, there you go, guys. Yeah, we thought we, um, you know, it was an attempt to cleverly castigate a, a, a narcissistic billionaire who lived in the life of greed and self-aggrandizement, entitled him to be leader of the free world. 
Uh, and we thought we had the rope to add our voices to the chorus of Princess Not There. It had completely nothing to do with our summer jobs and our TV spokesperson gigs. We would never in a million years consider spouting any political rhetoric during those TV um, appearances. Uh, but we thought we had the right to criticize the presidential candidate because, you know, because we live in America. Um, and then Crazy uh, thought by you. Yeah, crazy thought. You know, it, under Obama's America, especially, it didn't seem like it was a crazy thought. Um, but um, we decided we put the book out in the spring, and it got a lot of um, good response from friends and family. So we decided to launch a Kickstarter campaign, a 37-day Kickstarter campaign, in order to raise money to print the book more broadly. Um, and we sent out an email to about 1,900 people on our contact list, announcing it on June 28th. And on June 29th, we were fired. Wow. Uh, they just, I mean, they moved quickly, didn't they? Yeah, they didn't even talk to us. The decision makers never talked to us on the phone after 17 years of service. Uh, never talked to us on the phone, never asked to see the actual book, never looked at any of our TV clips that we had already done. This summer, several TV interviews in San Diego and L.A. and Phoenix, uh, Tucson, already talking about only RVing and nothing else. Um, and they hey, um, terminated our contract. Yeah, Brad, I want to ask you more. We actually have a caller, um, Reggie from Georgia. We have on line one who wants to ask you about uh, your boss and conservative talk radio, a few things. Do we have you, Reggie? Yes. yes. How yes, are you, yes, my friend? How are you, Cliff? I'm doing yeah, great, like, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. I'd just like to ask your friend Brad over there that does this, does, was his Trump loving ex boss slash employer listen to conservative right wing hate talk radio too as well? I mean, why is it okay for them to attack, criticize, and call out the Obamas over eight years and get away with it and still have a job or, or employment? But if you did it, but you do it to Donald Trump and you and your wife get fired, you write books about him and you guys get fired. Why is it okay for Fox News to do the same thing to Obama, but they still have jobs there? And, and it, but you did it to, to, about Donald Trump. You wrote books about him, and you get fired. You and your wife. That's right. It. Seems like a good question, Reggie. Brad, what, what uh, you know, from your perspective, I know, do you know if your boss was a right-wing radio watcher? We do know a few things about who they gave awards to. One, maybe you should speak to that, too. Yeah. Um, you know, what happened with this fellow named Greg Gerber, who uh, is the editor and publisher of a little RV industry newsletter called RV Daily Report. He heard about, he got an email from somebody on our email list, we believe, who we believe had an axe to grind with RVIA, the RV Industry Association, and with Trump, as is this Fred Gerber. Uh, he has made no bones about his politics in the pages of his RV uh, writing. Within two hours of our Kickstarter campaign launching, he wrote an incendiary, uh, what he called a, quote, opinion piece, where he basically called for us to be fired. Um, and because because uh, the RV Industry Association is supposed to remain neutral politically. Um, he also went out for three paragraphs to further defame how we were publishing this book. And there's a particular quote in there where he said um, uh, something along the lines of, I don't know why these California liberals need other people's money to publish a book. Um, so ah, he, there you go. Yeah, so he was revealing himself there, and um, so that sort of and he was he was he was he created these um, absurd hypotheticals about how we were going to be ambushed on TV by these news reporters, um, which I'll go into later, which is so absurd. 
Um, and that that inflamed the uninformed, which is one of the one of you know step four of the Trump playbook is inflaming the uninformed, and um, and that got a lot of it sort of created a little bit of a firestorm, and that firestorm was what the RV Industry Association executives and board members reacted to. I don't think there was one person who fired us. I'm pretty sure it was a board of people who made the decision, but it is a pretty conservative industry. And we well, who did they give their years. awards to, if I remember correctly? Weren't there right. a couple of very right-wing people they awarded or gave awards to? Well, two years before they gave us the Spirit of America Award, they awarded it to Justice Clarence Thomas, which is, I don't know if there's a bigger lightning rod uh, politically <laughs> than that. Known um, political neutral. Yeah, and um, actually, if you go on the RBIA website, they list all the award winners of that award. They don't list Clarence Thomas, but if you Google Clarence Thomas and Spirit of America Award, you see that he did receive it in 2004, and when he received it, uh, the RBIA board chairman who gave it to him, you know, recognized him as, quote, an exemplary representative of the traditional American values inherent to RV travel. Um, Can I ask you a question, Brad? Do you know when he got the award if he actually said anything, or did he do what he does in the court and just sit there and not talk? Sorry, I couldn't help myself. Go ahead. And let everyone else do the talking. Exactly. So they they gave him, they gave Justice Clarence Thomas an award and explained that it was because he was a representative of traditional American values. And then six days after they fired us this year, on July 4th, they gave an award to um, Senator Joni Ernst of Iowa, um, who spoke at day one of the RNC and criticized, you know, talked about how you can't trust Hillary Clinton. Um, and she's on the RV caucus, I believe, of the Congress. I believe that's why they gave her the award. But I don't know how that conveys political neutrality. Now, I'm not saying, you know, they've also done events where Howard Dean has spoken at the event. I don't think they've given him an award. I don't think they would. But, um, but it, it, it's... They, they, they claim they fired us because of they want to remain politically neutral, but their actions belie that. And, um, you know, yeah. they, they fired us because they got bad. They, were, they didn't like the publicity that was happening, and a lot of their members were up in arms that all these – suddenly we were um, outed as California liberals, quote-unquote, and suddenly <laughs> we were deemed toxic. I mean, we now, Brad – yeah, I don't want to cut you off. We're, we're about to go to a, a break, but I want to bring you back. We've also got Michael uh, from the Bronx on line two wants to ask a question. So let's get you back here after the break, and we'll talk more about this. Thanks. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of truth. The Leslie Marshall Show, 888-6-LESLIE. Sitting in for Leslie Marshall. We've got Brad Herzog on the phone. Brad's an author, an RV enthusiast, uh, and someone who's fired for speaking out against Donald Trump. Brad, we still got you there? You still got me. All right. We're smart enough to keep you, unlike those RV people. (laughs) Amen to that. So, all right, where were we? We were talking about uh, the insanity of your story. We talked about they wanted you to be politically neutral, but you were being called a California liberal by this guy who writes an influential column about the industry. 
They give awards to such paragons of virtue in political neutrality, Joni Ernst and Clarence Thomas. Um, so what do, you, what do you take from all this? Um, for, at least on the positive side, we want people to know some good things. I mean, certainly most of this is not good. But you, sadly, we, couldn't, we, we didn't have you on here before your Kickstarter was finished. But you did have a Kickstarter. You did some, some radio and some other things. And, and how did that do in the end? Well, you know, that's the silver lining. Um, I, I don't re recommend that people lose, you know, their primary source of income to boost a Kickstarter campaign. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I wasn't advocating it. I, I, just, I just want yeah. everyone to feel better that we're, we're going to do our best to help you hang in there and come out on the other side, my friend. Yeah, no, we're doing just fine because, um, you know, because of this story, a lot of people are, are picked off about it. And um, and they they realize that this the way that we were treated, the sort of process that we went through, could be a portent of things to come under a Trump America. And um, so our little Kickstarter campaign, you know, when this guy wrote that nasty column about us, we had only 17 backers of our, our previous for Dump Trump Kickstarter book, our book campaign. When we were fired, we only had about 52 backers. And the Kickstarter campaign ended today, this morning, and we had 975 backers, and we made over $41,000, about 550% funded. Um, so Fantastic. people have... Uh, come out of the woodwork to really support us and show that they believe in us, they believe in our right to freedom of expression, and they think it's terrible that we lost our jobs over it, and they, they want to see a clever and creative way of, of castigating this billionaire um, out there. So but that's been great. You know, we're, yeah, and, and, and along those lines, Brad, um, if, if he's still there, I hope so. We've had Michael from yeah. the Bronx uh, waiting on line two. He was he taught. He wanted to know about uh, a lawsuit potentially against your boss, um, you know, and uh, concerns about Trump as a dictator. So, are you there, Michael? I am here, alive and well. And All right, my friend. I, <laughs> I'm sorry for keeping you on on on, the, on hold no. there for a bit. Yeah, that's no problem. But I just want to tell you, guess Brad. Number one. You got big-time support from yours truly after the injustice that you went through. And quite frankly, yeah, I, the way I see you definitely have a lawsuit against your former boss. You're talking about the um, violation of your First Amendment rights. But quite frankly, they broke the law in more ways than one. You cannot fire somebody that does not um, agree with what you're saying on a political standpoint or what have you? I don't recall, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, if there was anywhere on the basis or the conditions of your employment that you had to be a Trump supporter or a Trump butt kisser or be a supporter of anybody on the GOP, especially on the far right wing. I don't recall anything being, uh, um, being that well, on any kind of job application. And quite frankly, I would hope to God that... Um, that your lawsuit, we should have a big, I don't want to call it a political shakeup, but a routine shakeup on the humanitarian side that you just cannot do these things to other people and get away with it because it becomes so difficult to find a job. And this is not law and order. At and it, sets a, it sets a precedent, too, right? I mean, in your case, Brad, so... I'm going to guess, uh, we, we were being asked by Mike here, I'm going to guess there was no clause in your contract that said you had to kiss Donald Trump's butt. Um, that would seem to be that unconstitutional could, to me. Um, that if would it be, isn't, I don't think I would have that one. But, uh, 
<laughs> um, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Well, there's there's no you know there's no political or moral flaws in our agreement uh, regarding our opinions or our actions or our affiliations. Um, however, there was a clause in there that we could be fired at will for any reason, and um, when that clause is whoa 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 whoa, whoa 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 whoa. I, I have to correct you on that. You, as a worker, have rights. They cannot just arbitrarily fire you unless you create a workplace harassment if you were sexually harassed, harassing somebody. See, the thing that gets me really upset, and I know you guys are short on time, but I want to um, close on a special note that people thinking that how the hell could they fire you and your wife and you're doing your job in the most utmost professional matter, but then yet they're going to log somebody named Roger Ailes who acts like Donald Trump, who has no regard for women and has been sexually harassing people, and they're going to give him a whopping-ass bonus for stepping down. That doesn't yeah, well, make about any it, freaking sense. And if you think about it, I can tell you this from knowing Brad's story. Um, you know, that Brad for 17 years worked at this place. They loved his work. I don't believe there ever was a negative comment made. And to me, it's, it, your story is important, Brad, because I've gotten to know you a bit, and you're a great guy, and this shouldn't happen to anybody uh, in this country. But it, it, it's also related to, to what kind of country we want to be. You see Donald Trump right now, he's banned the Washington Post, you know, <laughs> that, non, that, that publication no one's ever heard of, uh, from his events, because I guess they say some critical things about him. I, I, if we go in that direction, it's soon no media will be allowed. He's banned BuzzFeed. He's banned reporters from other publications. So, you know, when, when does freedom of speech, freedom of the press, your basic First Amendment freedoms, can, you know, I think we can all see Donald, Donald Trump abrogating all of those without a second thought. He already is talking about not allowing people in by what religion they are into the country. So I think that's why I wanted to you get you out there as much as possible. It's so important, this story, Brad. I mean, am I right, though? I mean, you, there's nothing you ever heard from these people before that you had done anything wrong in any way. Is that correct? That's correct. I mean, they, we, they loved us, and we, we were I, – I did 300-plus interviews over 17 years, my wife and I, and I wrote hundreds of thousands of blog posts, words uh, and on their behalf, never once – promoting any other agenda beyond promoting the joys and wonders of traveling in a house on wheels. And, um, you know, I do think it's, it's so tragically ironic because in our lives completely separate from our job, we wrote a book about the dangers of reactionary rhetoric, about a candidate who spreads a message of intolerance, about a, a movement that just protests as a threat to democracy rather than, you know, its foundation. And our form of protest comes out our, our job. Um, and I do think that so you basically they proved you exactly right. Right, they did, and um, and the irony that we're promoting um, traveling across America to to all Americans, no matter what their politics, um, that sort of deepens the irony of it. Um, and, and Trump does attack freedom of expression, um, and and it's, it's frightening. You know, the whole process that we went through is sort of like a twelve-step program from the Trump playbook. You know. Disguise your agenda the way we are fired. Disguise your agenda. Ignore the facts. Attack freedom of expression. Use innuendo as a weapon. All right, we're the powerless. You know, on and on and on. It just goes. We're coming up on a, on a break, Brad. Um, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on. Your story is incredibly important. I hope that people thank will share this story from hearing it. I know I'm going to continue to. Um, so thank you. I want to thank Michael also and Reggie for calling in and um, and take care, buddy.